0: I'll read that since the display is a little dark. Um, That is Proverbs 3, verse 3. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Uh, Let us pray. Blessed Lord, who caused all the Holy Scriptures to be written for our learning, Grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and the comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Um, we're doing topical studies, Uh, this is the second one, Uh, and I altered what it says on the table of contents a little bit. Uh, I was going to focus on, um, well, relationships, but also focus more on sexuality and marriage. But we're going to do sexuality and marriage uh, in the book of Song of Solomon in the fall, and so I'm going to expand more to relationships in general. So uh, the title is now uh, Wisdom and Faithfulness in Relationships. Um, And uh, I wanted to briefly introduce the the idea of human identity. So 50 years ago, coincidentally the year I graduated from high school, uh, this brief introduction about human identity might not be as necessary as I think it is today. So the question of our identity, who and what we are as human beings, was not yet so publicly controversial or so fraught with anxiety as it now is in Western culture. Uh, So for example, you can now say you are a, a woman trapped in a man's body and you are to be taken seriously. Fifty years ago, that would have been a joke. Um, uh, so I can only very be, be very brief about this because I really do want to focus on what Proverbs has to say. So if you want to more delve more deeply into the modern concept of identity, I'm going to make a recommendation. This is a book by Carl Truman, uh, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Uh, And he clearly and more adequately explains what is going on with the question of identity. And historically and philosophically, we came to be where we are. All I'm going to do is introduce the concept a little bit so that we can understand what Scripture is saying a bit better uh, and apply it to what's going on today. Um, And so where we are in identity... Let's see, is here. So I thought I'd have a visual and a little bit of explanation. Um, In the modern sense of identity, the dominant worldview, uh, secularism, uh, secularism is a view that uh, religion and God are irrelevant and even a hindrance to human flourishing and happiness. For secularism, which is sometimes called secular humanism or secular progressivism, a human being is an individual isolated, autonomous, and self-sufficient center of being, personal desire, and creativity. You're independent. Your relationships are accidental. Now that doesn't mean, you know, you drive around in your car hitting things all the time. It means there is nothing essential about a relationship that has anything to do with your identity not even your relationship with your mother or father, not even your relationship with your own body. Um, Well, I will borrow one thing from uh, Truman. This is a a neo-gnostic concept when it gets down to the question of what's called transgenderism because if we are, in fact, our own gods or a spark of the divine, it's what I feel I am that counts, not what my biology, or being created the image of God have to say about it. We are, in effect, our own gods who can and should be only what we personally desire. Again, this is a secular view. Uh, Follow your heart. Be true to yourself. You can be whatever you want to be. These are the proverbs of the autonomous, self-expressive individual. And, and I will only say that the, the upshot of this and the conclusion of this is only delusion and despair, but I'm not going to spend a lot of time discussing it. For such an individual, all relationships are accidental. They simply happen to be what they are. They could have been something else and it wouldn't have made any difference. And in no way should these relationships be allowed to make us anything other than what we desire and choose. And, and I don't mean your relationship to your grocer you know, or the gas station attendant. Oh, there are no gas station attendants anymore. Boy, I'm dating myself. Um, uh, this, is, this is God, mother, father, brother, sister, husband, wife, daughter, son, grandsons. None of these relationships have anything to do with your identity, who you are, uh, because you are an autonomous, self-centered, self-sufficient center of being and personal desire. You are, in effect, your own God. Even our relationship with our own bodies is accidental, and our feelings and desires take precedence over what nature incidentally fashioned and endowed us with, and hence you get the idea of transgenderism. So let me just pause to to just, because that's all I'm going to say about that. Does anybody have any questions uh, if this isn't, like, clear? Because all I'm doing is laying the groundwork. This is this is what the dominant worldview and culture says about what a human being is, what our identity is. And to say the least, it differs somewhat from the biblical worldview and the view presented in the book of Proverbs. So... This is a visual to get that across. Um, in the biblical worldview, every person is pretty much embedded in a matrix of relationships. Now, we are unique individuals. We are each created in the image of God. We have our own different you know, biological manifestations. Uh, I gave up my MBA career early because... I just couldn't, you know, make the long ball. Uh, but anyway, we are not isolated, autonomous, or self-sufficient. We are dependent on God. Um, and we are, in a sense, dependent on our other relationships, too. They don't determine in a hard sense philosophically who they are, but they are part of who we are. Um, Anyway, the biblical worldview understands our full sense of identity to be intimately intertwined with a matrix of essential relationships. I used to talk about this some with high school seniors, and I, I asked them to do a thought experiment. I said, think of a baby. The baby's, I mean, just completely newborn. And then you just you put it out in the wilderness by itself. Now imagine that somehow it survives it's a thought experiment don't go with the details too much uh and it grows up physically but it never has any relationship with any other human being or for that matter any other animal above the size of an insect would that child who grew up even have any idea whatsoever who they were and when you think about it is no not really I mean, even no relationship with God, we'll make it a secular thought experiment. So we come to know who we are through our relationships. And for most of us, that's initially with our mother and our father. And then if we have brothers and sisters, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, The fundamental relationship of every human individual is with his or her creator. And of course, to deny that is the height of folly. We are all creatures of our God and King. We are most fully who we are, not in isolation, but in our relationships with God, parents and family, spouse, children, friends, neighbors, community, and nations. The basis of stability and flourishing in all these relationships is love and faithfulness. Now, in that verse, uh, Proverbs 3, verse 3, the Hebrew word for love translated there is hesed. It's a guttural chesed, anyway. Sometimes spelled, it looks cheesed, C-H-E-S-E-D, chesed. Um, this is the same word that's used throughout the Old Testament, and especially in the Psalms, to designate the Lord's faithful covenant love for Israel. It's the kind of love that is exemplified in the, the covenant example that Nick uh, read, well, Nick uh, used in Genesis that God sets his heart on you and he will be faithful to what he has promised. Um, the, the NIV, uh, which I won't say it doesn't sometimes have issues, but I like the fact that it frequently cha- translates chesed as unfailing love, and, and this is a, is a good way to think of it. This unfailing love, chesed, And not selfish personal desire or self-expression is the key not only to meaningful relationships, but to an understanding of your own identity and to the meaning of life. Um, And that's, in, in a nutshell, very briefly, the distinction between the biblical sense of human identity and the current secular sense. And you'll find the secular sense projected just ad infinitum and ad nauseum, particularly in popular culture. Um, if you still watch broadcast TV and you're stuck with looking at commercials, uh, you'll find this. But if you uh, YouTube, I don't watch TikTok. I don't listen to YouTube channels. I'm just familiar with them. Um, it's it's all about the idea that you are a autonomous, isolated individual, and as far as the market is concerned, therefore a designated consumer of entertainment and a targeted demographic for the capitalist system. I'm not a socialist, just so you know, but that in fact is true. So conversely, the book of Proverbs presents God is God, not yourself. But, he, but the Proverbs presents God as Yahweh, um, the Lord. Uh, nobody actually knows if that's exactly how to pronounce it. There are four consonants in the Old Testament. They're called the Tetragrammaton, uh, Yod-Heh, vav Um And in order, because this was considered the sacred name of God, uh, you weren't supposed to try to pronounce it. And the Masoretes, the people who put the vowel pointing in the Hebrew language, put in the vowel pointing for Adonai, which is the Lord. So when you come across Yahweh, you're not supposed to try and say Yahweh. You're supposed to read the Lord. And this is how most modern English translations do it. So if you see Lord in all caps, the behind that is the covenant name of God, which is Yahweh, who is the maker and judge of all. Presented in Proverbs as the maker and judge of all who hates evil and punishes the wicked and rewards the righteous. Our proper relationship to the Lord is one of fear. We've already mentioned this before, but the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Our proper relationship also includes trust in Submission. One of the most well-known proverbs, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And of course, if every individual in a society did that, we would have heaven on earth. Of course, we don't do that. Um, some of us don't do it at all or even attempt to do it and then some of us just try but fail. Without the foundation of a relationship with the Lord, no other relationships can be assured of being stable or thriving. Um, Just another comment, again, on the current state of society. I I think this is one of the root problems. Uh, We have forgotten God. That's what Alexander Solzhenitsyn said when he said the core problem of Western culture was men have forgotten God. And at this point in the history of Western culture, we haven't just forgotten God. We were actively hostile and at war with him because we want to be our own gods. So trust and submission, the fear of the Lord, are essential to stability and thriving in any other relationship. Any other relationship. Um, Everybody's born... Everybody has a mother and a father. They might not have a mommy and daddy, but everybody has a mother and father. Um, and again, I won't, I won't digress into the issues we have now with with parenting and families and single-parent families and the percentage of children who were born uh, outside of marriage and family. Th- that is a problem. Um, so the wisdom in Proverbs regarding our relationship to our parents expresses much of the practical meaning of God's command to honor your father and mother. Okay, how do I do that? Well, Proverbs says various things. As children and youth, we should obey our mothers and fathers and heed their instruction and discipline. Proverbs 6, 20, 22 says, My son, keep your father's commands and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them upon your heart forever. Fasten them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. As adult children, we should live in a way that brings joy to our parents. Uh, Doesn't mean we all have to be doctors and lawyers and rich people. That's Hollywood. But we should live wisely. A wise son brings joy to his father but a foolish son, grief to his mother in Proverbs 10.1. We should respect and care for our parents in their old age. Listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. Proverbs 23.22. And so that the first and initial human relationship we have has certain obligations and responsibilities that they don't determine our identity, but again, they affect us in a way that if we neglect our obligations, if we, if we break faith with our mother and fa- mothers and fathers, this has a lot to do and a lot to say about who we end up becoming. Um, Anyway, next, uh, your spouse. The husband-wife relationship is crucial not only for the couple, but for children, the community, and the culture. And I won't be saying anything new when I say the breakdown of marriage in this culture is a serious uh, problem. The instability and failure of marriages and families in our society is one of the root causes of many other social problems, and one of the root causes of marriage failure is the influence of the so-called sexual revolution. Um, which there is a wide uh, number of attributes to that that I won't go into. The book of Proverbs has a lot to say, though, about the power and place of human sexual desire. Proverbs, as the entire Bible, is clear that the only place for sexual intimacy is within marriage between a husband and wife. Um, That, as you know, is no longer the dominant ethic in, in Western culture. And, Specifically in American society in proverbs five fifteen through seventeen water is a metaphor for sexual desire and intimacy. The father instructs his son not to let his water flow outside its proper channel uh, this is this is uh, this is a lovely illustration that is um, it's uh, uh, highly evocative without being crude or graphic. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public square, let them be yours alone and never to be shared with strangers. The, the idea of promiscuity, I mean, it did happen in ancient Israelite society, but it's anathema not only to God's commands, but to actual flourishing in relationships and in culture. Um, The paradigm of a bad sexual relationship, uh, well, there's two of them, adultery and consorting with a prostitute. Uh, And I've mentioned before, we are talking about a patriarchal society, and again, that's not as controversial as people think every society ever has been, still is, and there are no matriarchal societies, has been patriarchal. But much of the advice that is given to sons by the father could equally be given, in the kind of culture we live in now, to daughters. So adulterers as well as adulteresses are problems. So the father warns his son repeatedly about the dangers of the adulteress Adulteress and the prostitute. A young man should embrace wisdom, not another man's wife or a promiscuous woman. And the same thing applies to the daughter. A young woman should embrace wisdom, not another wife's man or a promiscuous man. The sexual relationship, like all relationships, must be governed by faithfulness and the fear of the Lord. A husband, when you're talking about within the marriage itself, within a sexually faithful relationship, a husband should recognize and deeply appreciate that a good wife is a gift from God. I'm not sure why, but nowhere does it say a husband is a gift from God. <laughs> um, so the phrase God's gift to women is biblically inappropriate. Um, however, um Proverbs 18, he who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. Um, and uh, men do well to remind ourselves of that on a, on a daily basis. Proverbs 19, 14, houses and wealth are inherited from parents, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Um, Prudent children are, in effect, too, although sometimes our training has a lot to do with that, too. Um, I'll mention children in a minute, but um, uh, prudence is is not, you know, someone who doesn't want to have any fun, who is just a stick in the mud and a party pooper. A prudent is someone who acts wisely and circumspectly in all circumstances, including and in particularly sexual ones. Um Prudence is a good thing. Uh, as the example of the wife of noble character in Proverbs 31 shows, a wife should seek to support and do well by her husband, and a husband must be faithful to his wife. Uh, let me just note as well that the verses can equally apply to men as well as women, all of them. So, again, I'm not sure why, but there is no, there is no husband of noble character in the in the book of proverbs but there could be we can use the characteristics that are given of a wise man uh, we did that last week uh to come up with a complete portrait uh in the case of the man we're talking about going through the whole book and gathering together in case of the wife of noble character you do have a rounded portrait all in one place um Couples will argue, but constant quarreling should be avoided. Um, Proverbs talks in several places about uh, the frustration of living with a quarrelsome woman. The thing again equally applies to living with a quarrelsome man. Uh, a, a man's woman in Proverbs nineteen eleven. A man's wisdom gives his patience. Gives him patience. It is his glory. To overlook an offense, Um, people who are wise do not easily engage in quarrelsome behavior. Um, Children. Uh, As well as being loved, nurtured, and provided for, children should be taught, trained, and disciplined by their mothers and fathers. Uh, one of the more well-known Proverbs uh, 22, six, reminds us to train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Now, this is not an inviolable promise. Um, there are inviolable promises in the Bible. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you won't be saved. Uh, But this is more of a principle and a recognition that good character traits are formed early in a child's life, and when they are, they tend to remain with them, especially if parents practice and maintain the same kind of traits. Um, Bad parents, well, you know, I was going to say bad parents can't raise good children, and, and that's the case, but... Every time I think about that, I had a, uh, I went out with a girl, uh, not, not the woman I eventually married, uh, in college. She was a Christian. Her, her mother was a drug addict. Her father abandoned them. She spent her, you know, adolescence uh, in foster care. Um, I met her through the Baptist student ministry in college. And, and she turned out wonderfully. She was a kind, sweet, Uh, individual. Uh, She was eventually adopted as an adult by our campus minister. And so you can rise above your upbringing. Uh, Neither nature nor nurture is determinative. Um, I don't have any more wisdom about how this individual turned out to be such a wonderful individual, but um, as a matter of fact, um, sometimes Children can rise above their parents' lack of training. Um, children do not contain generally within themselves the wisdom to understand and navigate life. The view of children in the secular view is based on Rousseau, not on the Bible. The idea that children are innocent, that children are innocent in a certain way. There is such a thing as moral accountability, but that in fact they are simply uh, paragons of virtue that civilization ruins uh, is not biblical. Uh, Children must be trained to think right and to do right. It is essential that children be brought up being instructed in morality, wisdom, and the discipline and instruction of the Lord, as it says in Ephesians 6 and 4. Um, And I think we all understand that here. Um, Again, Children, like all individuals, vary in talents and abilities and gifts. We should try and encourage them uh, in, in ways that brings those out. But as a matter of fact, one of the uh, first things that children learn to do is say no uh, and, and lie. Although very early we could say they're making up stories. And so this, this needs to be disciplined and trained out of them. They need to have a structure that's independent and objective, Scripture, the revelation of the Lord, um, as a plumb line in order to to build them properly, so to speak. Friends and neighbors. Uh, Integrity and faithfulness is also the foundation of successful relationships with friends and neighbors. Um, we have an obligation to act with loyalty and integrity and honestly toward our friends and neighbors. We should not bear false witness against our neighbor, shouldn't lie to our neighbor, should, should not uh, say things about uh, our neighbors or friends behind their backs. Um, We should practice kindness and generosity uh, when it lays in our hands to be good to our neighbor or do good. We should do that. Um, We need to exercise discretion in speech, avoid offense, and not be quarrelsome in general. Uh, But sometimes we must be cautious in friendship. Proverbs 22, 24, 25 Proverbs chapter 22, verses 24 and 25 says, Do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn his ways and get yourself ensnared. Um, Paul writes, um, as it is written, I can't remember the verse, uh, do, not, do not be uh, deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Um, our parents were right, you know. Those kids were bad. They were a bad influence. We shouldn't hang out with them, whoever those kids were. But sometimes uh, it is best to avoid becoming, trying to become friends with people who are irascible, volatile, uh, violent, et cetera. Um, Community and nation. Um, This is... This is a topic now, since we live in a very uh, a hot topic now, we do live in a, in a divided nation, uh, I, I would say fractured. Uh, whether it can be put back together again or whether we can have some sort of national unity, that's a good question. Um, anyway, uh, the stable foundation of a community or nation is the fundamental relationships within it between... Husband and wife, parents and children, neighbors and friends, but especially those of marriage and family. Without a structure, without without such a strong foundation, communities and nations become dysfunctional, fractured, and conflicted. Um, We see that we see that a lot in various places, unfortunately. Without a strong foundation, wise practice within a strong foundation, wise practices and actions lead to flourishing and the increase of shalom. Um, I won't talk politics or even community leadership, but there are examples of good leaders who act uh, for the good of their community. Uh, practicing wisdom, righteousness, and goodness uplift a community. Uh, Proverbs eleven eleven: Through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is destroyed. Community and government leaders should be motivated not by selfish ambition, but by love and faithfulness toward their community or nation. Now, the national leader in Israel was a king. So Proverbs twenty twenty eight reads, Love and faithfulness keep a king safe. Through love, his throne is made secure. Stable and beneficial leadership results from rulers and officials seeking wisdom, righteousness, and justice. In the pursuit of justice, the restraining of evil is a key rule for government leaders. Proverbs 20, verse 8. A wise king winnows out the wicked, he drives the threshing wheel over them. That's a graphic graphic illustration there. Proverbs twenty-one, fifteen. When justice is done, it brings joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. Um, While no king, president, or state is absolute, the authorities, laws, and traditions within a community and nation should not be disregarded or treated disdainfully. That does not mean all authority and even all tradition is legitimate, but it shouldn't just be thrown out or utterly disregarded and disrespected. The importance of our essential relationships can hardly be exaggerated. Again, we are not autonomous, free, independent, self-created, self-sufficient selves. Um, But we live in an age that champions that. Be who you are. Seek your bliss. um, Follow your own heart. You can be whatever you want to be. The meaning and identities, the meaning of our identities and the shalom of our communities are dependent on our understanding and practice in relationship with God, parents, spouses, children, friends, neighbors, and leaders. This is the biblical idea of who we are and the kind of relationships we should have. Finished a little early today. I think we have about ten minutes. So, are there any questions, either on this or anything earlier, um, previous lessons? Yes, Miguel. Uh. Um. So, 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 is your question like given uh, certain religious differences between you and your parents? How 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 do you relate to them? Right. How should we? How should we? So, so, well, you're an adult child. So it's different than if you, if you are under... This is why, you know, we live in a fallen world. So just about every bit of advice that, that Proverbs is going to give you is going to say, you're going to have a, but what about this and what about that? In, in your case, uh, you're to respect your parents you're to honor them. You don't say negative things about them. Uh, they raised you. You know they put a roof over your head, et cetera, et cetera. So you are to honor and respect them. That does not mean you have to agree with all their views on on God and the Bible. But whatever disagreements are that you know that you have to respect them. Um, you don't have to agree with them, and you have to treat them as you should treat everybody. As someone created the image of God and worthy of dignity and respect. Um, I mean, I mean, is this causing friction? I'm, I feel like I'm counseling now, but uh, is this no, causing just, present well, friction? The, the, the challenge is less ideologically, but I think it's practically. Like, how do you okay. still do community? I mean, it's oh. it would be hard for them to come to church with me, and there's some senses where it would be hard for me to come to church with them. You know yeah, yeah. Well, not actually being a counselor... Um, I don't have a, a, a good answer to that. Uh, Christian groups do tend to group in ways not only doctrinally but in worship sensibilities, you know, even, even within Anglicanism. Um, so, I mean, sometimes you just have to agree to disagree. I mean, my, my, my own daughter and her husband and kids still prefer Baptist worship. Well, that's fine. Uh, they've visited us. Um, I haven't visited with them. Maybe we should. Of course, there, there's not like it's not like going to the the Mormon assembly, which I wouldn't do. That to me, that would be akin to pagan worship. Seriously, I'm I'm not joking about that. Uh, but you know, Baptists are okay. I was one myself. Um, so the, you're 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 really getting into. Um, Seriously, counseling territory. Like, how how do we have this is community? For me. This is just as a general uh, Okay, so like so in, in in general terms, um, like, how do we get along with Baptists? Well, we should get along fine. Could we have a joint worship service? Well, I think we could. It really depends on on denominational leaders now, doesn't it? Um, there there are some who apparently don't take as far as I'm concerned, the wisdom of Proverbs about the necessary, necessity for good relationships. If we can all agree on certain core things, like uh, most Baptists, while I wouldn't say it every Sunday, would agree with a Nicene Creed. Um, And I think it's important to, uh, you know, ecumenism up to a point is a good idea. Um, Would... I know a lot of evangelicals don't feel comfortable in liturgic service. I was raised that way. So I guess that's to say I don't don't have really any real terrific idea, except we need to practice magnanimity um, and uh, getting along within certain boundaries. Um, That can go too far. Like I say, Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses aren't Christians, so... I don't care if they don't feel comfortable here. Um, You know, I hope they come in and feel uh, comfortable, that came out wrong, comfortable with the doctrine. Um, I would hope they would come and hear the truth of the gospel because you you don't get that in certain places. But within a broad range, um, we do need to practice shalom and respect. Well, that was a that was more like a jazz riff than a, than a, than a good than a specific answer. Any other questions, uh, Colleen? Yeah, there, there is a thing like more likely, and, and then the train up a child in the way you should go. Again, it's not an inviolable promise, but uh, a similar popular proverb would be, the apple doesn't far from the tree. Most children end up like their parents. Um, and so it's not only that we, you know, if if an atheist trains up his child, he's she, he's going to end up basically being an atheist now. But God, you know. So again, neither neither uh, nature or nurture are are determinative. There's uh, hope. There's always hope. Um, but, but on the other hand, uh, we do have responsibilities. We're not simply to let our children do whatever they want, whenever they want it. Nor are we to neglect uh, the content of their religious training. Uh, right. But I know what you're saying too. You can do every. I found that out. Early. I was a middle school teacher a long time ago, and uh, most of the time when we had problems. This was on a military base, and there were lots of, when I say transients, you know, military people would move a lot. Um, we had a lot of behavioral problems. Um, typically, though, um, when a kid's parents came in, we knew why the kid was yeah. like they were, but that was not always the case. Um, I remember one particular student, he wasn't, I didn't have him, but I just, you know, Okay, yes, students get talked about in the teacher's lounge. Um, and people just wonder, well, what his parents are wonderful, they're lovely, they're cooperative. What happened to this kid? So you're right. The apple doesn't always fall, fall far from the tree, but sometimes it hits a rut on a hill and it starts rolling away. So, you know, but then somebody could go out and get it. Okay, any other questions um, I don't know that I might be able to answer a little better than the ones I have so far? Yes, Tom? Um, in Proverbs about brothers and sisters, uh, the answer is actually not much. Um, uh, the one proverb I can think of offhand is, you know, better the friend close by than a brother far away. So, um, which can, can be true. It's not, that, that's not a slam it brothers and sisters it's just you know like all my my brothers and my sister all do live far away um um, so i mean that's just the case now of course just about anything that applies to a friend or neighbor and applies to your own personal character and integrity is going to affect your relationship with brothers and sisters but you're right i didn't bring it up because proverbs doesn't bring it up that much the Bible in general Um, and then if we take uh, New Testament and Old Testament we can understand we do have responsibilities uh, to our brothers and sisters. Uh, Although I admit I'm not prepared to say exactly what those might be right now. Oh right, other nations. Uh, You're right, not not much in Proverbs. Um, Of course um at least um, strict Israelites were well known for, you know, you know, they, they don't marry outside Israel. But then then there's the case of Ruth. Uh, Ruth was a Moabitess. Now she became, I guess, a proselyte. Um, but she's also an ancestor of Jesus. So um, the Israelites in I Exodus or Deuteronomy are told to to be kind to strangers and aliens because you were strangers and aliens in Egypt. So the Israelites are to get along with other nations insofar as it lies with them, but not necessarily take up their pagan habits. But again, uh, Proverbs and wisdom literature in general doesn't mention that that much, but yeah. And of course, if someone fears the Lord, and, I'm, I've, you know, this is something you could disagree with. I, I, I think fearing the Lord is on a sliding scale uh, from, you know, hard atheism who hates God to, you know, a, a saint, um, which I'm not, and, and everything in between. And so anybody who acknowledges God, you know, I, I've, I have things in common with people who are atheists, and I've gotten along with some of them but I have a lot more in common and I get along better with people who acknowledge the existence of God. And then I have a lot more in common with people who acknowledge the existence of a personal monotheistic God who relates to human beings. And I have the most in common, get along best, with people who acknowledge you know, God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, his Son Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Um, so... Insofar as it lies with us, Paul says, not Proverbs, we should be at peace with all people. Sometimes it doesn't lie with us. So, Thank you. Thank you for reminding me of that. Other questions related to relationships uh, and wisdom literature? Bless you. Okay, well, thank you very much. Uh, Next week we'll take up another topic, words and speech.